I pray that the word that you have put in my heart, uh, the word that I think that you have brought me to speak this morning, um, Lord, that it would be anointed. I pray that it would go forth not in the power of human eloquence or with uh, human passion or intensity, but it would be so uh, dripping with your presence that it will bring conviction and new life into us, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that there would be hearts open, ears and minds open this morning to receive this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Jim, I think my mic is a little hot. You may be seated. Because if I, if I do one of those Ben Sharp things, you know, where I get real loud all of a sudden, we may have to cart some people out. <laughs> Um, this morning, I'm departing from the lectionary text for this Sunday in Lent uh, because I have felt the Holy Spirit nudging me and guiding me to deal directly with the biblical truth that we need to address at Christ Church. And this prompting of the Holy Spirit has literally been dogging me now for weeks, and I now believe that the Spirit of God is address- leading me to address it at this time. And I, I would say that, that that perception, I believe, is actually being borne out. Uh, this perception has come, as I have said, as an inner prompting of the Spirit, but also through numerous pastoral conversations and observations. So if you say, I wonder if he's talking about me, the answer is, yeah, probably. Uh, no, it's about all of us. But it really does come from pastoral conversations and observations, and it also directly arises from the academic reading that I'm doing as well. So here's the topic. I, want to th- I think that many, if not most of us, may have what I would call a huge uh, blind spot regarding how we imagine and understand discipleship. See, most of, the, most of the time, most of us think and behave as if the core of following Jesus is about having right intellectual thoughts, right beliefs about God. We assume that when the scriptures speak of faith or belief, that they are addressing the way we think about God. That faith is is a, a matter primarily of right cognition, of right thinking. And brothers and sisters, this is almost entirely incorrect. Following Jesus is not based and rooted in cognition, It is based and rooted in loving God and desiring God more than anything else. And here's what I've observed as a pastor and what I have heard in my conversations. Many of us are struggling with a sense of frustration and a loss of joy. Uh, We're struggling with a a loss of the sense of the presence and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And quite frankly, many of us are dealing with doubt. And the reason that this is happening is that we have either consciously or unconsciously begun to pursue loves and desires other than God in the way that we should love and desire God alone. And so that's what I want us to talk about today from the Scriptures. So just to reiterate, living the Christian life is primarily about what we love, not what we think. Thinking is a part of this, but that's not the primary part. In contrast, by the way, that's why Jesus says when we come to him, we must be like little children. He doesn't say you must be like graduate students. He says you must be like a little child. Little children love and trust. 
In contrast to this, most of us, though, think, uh, most of us believe that thinking about Jesus, this is what we, this is how most of us imagine the Christian life. If I think enough about God, if I think enough of the right things about God, then it's going to lead to godly action. If I am thinking the right stuff, I will do the right things. But brothers and sisters, that is not correct. Actually, it is our desires and loves that lead to Christian living. Desiring God results in godly living. Knowing about God does not result in godly living. The devil knows about God. So a Christian life that is fulfilling and joyful is rooted in love. And the reason that many of us become discouraged, frustrated, unhappy, even resentful and unbelieving and unfruitful in our Christian life is that we desire and love other things in the same way we should be desiring and loving Jesus. Our problem is that we have divided loves and divided desires, not that we have wrong thinking. Divided loves and divided desires. In Mark chapter 4, in the parable of the sower, Jesus tells us that this is exactly what happens to Christians with divided desires. Listen to what he says in Mark 4, 18. And others, this is the parable of the sower. You know, the sower went to sow some seed, and some fell on the path, and it was too hard, and it, it, the birds came and ate it, and some fell on rocky soil. It sprang up, and the sun came out, and it was real bright and hot, and they died. Some fell in the thorns, and they got choked when the weeds grew up around it. You know this story, and some fell in good soil. So here's the deal. Jesus says in verse 18, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. Now listen to what he says happens. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, and then listen to this, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Notice that Jesus didn't say it, that the desires are for wicked things. He doesn't say that wicked things choke the word. He says only that desiring other things chokes the word. The desire for other things will choke our Christian life and make it unfruitful. Other things than what? What's it, what are these other things? that? What are we supposed to be loving and desiring then? Well, from the beginning, the Scripture is very clear. All the way back in Torah, back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, you know this very well. It starts with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then Moses tells the people of God, you shall love the Lord your God with all your, all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So what does that mean? Well, loving and desiring God with all our heart is our affections. Loving God with all our affections. All our soul in the ancient world, the soul, the sukkos, is the seat of the rational faculty. So that rational part of us that is, that is able to encounter God and know God rationally. And with all our might. In other words, with our physical being, with our bodies. So with our affections, our rationality, and our bodies, we are to love God with all of that. And Jesus reiterates exactly that same teaching when he tells us what the greatest, greatest commandment is in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. What's the greatest commandment? It's love God. But he also clearly tells us what we are to be desiring in Matthew chapter 6, 31 through 33. I'm sorry, we're going to use the Bible this morning. It's going to happen all through this sermon. So here we go. Matthew 6, 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Is it, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad desire. 
Or what shall we drink? It's not bad to need something to drink. Or what shall we wear? Please don't go naked. These are all good things. They said, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But you, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. So what is being said here is what is being said. Jesus is saying, seeking God first, desiring God first, loving God first, opens the door to God's peace. Don't be anxious. What's the opposite of being anxious? Being at peace. So it opens the door for God's peace and for joy in the Christian life and then provision for the things that we genuinely need. And by seeking God first, the promise is this, is that all the things we truly need, everything you need in life, God will be providing for. That means food, drink, clothing, relationship, all the things we need. Here's the point, brothers and sisters. The human heart is only big enough for one great overarching love. The human heart is made to only accommodate one great overarching love. Not many competing loves, but one great love. And that's not my opinion. This is what Jesus taught. Again, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then Jesus uses money as the, the main competitor here. You cannot serve God and money. In other words, you can't, we, we are not made to live with trying to balance competing desires. Okay, I'm gonna, I, I don't want to love God less than I love money, but maybe just as much exactly as I love money. Or maybe just exactly as much as I love my spouse. Or maybe just exactly as much as I love pizza. You know, whatever it is for you. The great passion, the great pursuit, the great desire, the great love we are created for is God. Delighting in God, listen to me, if we delight in God, that means that our deepest longings will be fulfilled. So what I'm trying to tell you is this, it's not that you love God and then I hope that works out for you. No, it's if we love God first, if we desire God first, then see, having that desire first, then everything else falls into place and all our other desires and needs and ambitions and loves are per, they, they, they flow out of a healthy place of loving God first. If we love God, if we desire God first, if we delight ourselves in God, he will give us the deepest longings of our hearts. I don't just think that. I know that it says so in Psalm chapter 37, or Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's your delight. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, here's the thing. Do I really believe that? Do I really believe that? Am I, you know, I might, you know, I'll, okay, I'll put that up on Facebook. But will I live my life as if this is true? Because based on our actions and our words, oftentimes it indicates that we don't believe this. We don't believe that he will give me the desires of my heart. 
If we do delight in the Lord, if he is the object of all our desire, he promises that we will be fulfilled and satisfied. The, the temptation, and I'm sure the enemy plays into this, the temptation is this, is that I'm afraid to love God with that kind of abandon because I'm worried about other things in my life being taken away, things that I delight in. I'm worried that somehow I won't be a, a balanced person. I won't have a balanced life. But he promises that we will be fulfilled and satisfied. How can this be? If God is the first thing in my life, how can this be fulfilling and satisfying? It is because when we delight in God, he reorders our disordered and fallen desires and affections and gives us right desires. When we delight ourselves in God, we find that we begin to delight in other things as well, different than what we delighted in before. This is, one of, this is the project of Lent. All right, it's a, part, it's, it's a time to really try to live that out, to, to, to do the experiment of I'm going to delight in you and see if you really give me the desires of my heart. Uh, I, w- I was a news junkie. I am a news junkie, I think. Yeah, probably. Okay, I, I got to go to a, one of those 12-step programs. Um, but, but I love the news, and I listened to a lot of podcasts, and I listened to a lot of religious podcasts, you know, a lot of faith-based Christian podcasts as well, and teaching podcasts. But part of what I felt the Lord calling me to do before Lent was to eliminate those things out of my life. First of all, they just consume an enormous amount of time. And, uh, and what it is, is I'm listening to other people have great thoughts, and I'm not having any on my own with the Lord. And so, uh, but what I found is by delighting in the Lord, by using that time for him, directing my desire to him and not to, to feast on this nugget of gossip, which is what a lot of news is, is that now I don't have the desire to go back to those podcasts again. I actually um, was going to watch a, this wasn't the debate, it was another political thing that was streaming online um, that just came up last night, and I, I watched about 30 seconds of it, and I said, I just don't like this. Uh, my passions had been redirected to something else, more wholesome. And I didn't even know that this wasn't a good thing until I'd given space for God to delight in him first. I don't know if that makes sense, but it certainly is the truth. When we, when we delight in God, he reorders our disordered and fallen desires. He gives us right desires, and he loves to give us what he loves. God loves to give you what God loves. So peace, joy, and satisfaction with life on a deep level is a result of craving God. And we hear this throughout the Scriptures. The Psalms are a wonderful place to go. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Listen to the intensity of longing for God. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh, my body, I am bodily in need of you, God. My body faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In other words, you're the only thing that's going to satisfy me. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than light. life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I, as I live. You're in your, na- your name, I will lift up my hands. Listen, my soul will be satisfied. Psalm 63, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Some of us are thinking, ooh, fat? Look, 
my granddaddy grew up in the Depression. My granddaddy, uh, my, my Papa Jack, who's been dead now for years, but he was the one that, pr- I think, prayed me into the kingdom. Uh, but Papa uh, would always eat the fat on his steak. I just thought that was nasty growing up. If you have been starving, it's wonderful. It was satisfying to him. And it killed him at age 82. It was bad. <laughs> but when, it, when we desire other things the way we are to desire God, it always, 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 never not sometimes, but always leads to chaos and, and destruction in our lives. James paints a picture of that chaos in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your desires, your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. I think he's speaking figuratively here. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Do you hear that picture of chaos? Desiring having passions for other things than God in a way that we should desire God unleashes destruction, unleashes destruction and injury in our lives. A few uh, a couple of months ago, uh, Jason and Rebecca, my daughter and son-in-law, and the grandchildren, uh, Annalise and Benny, uh, were at our house staying with us. And Annalise, my granddaughter, sleeps in her bed is in my study. We put, I actually went out and got her a, a camping cot now that she can sleep on. It. She loves it. So we put her in there. She's three years old. We put her in my study. Had to get up real early one morning. I'd come to morning prayer and lead morning prayer. So I got up and left the house around 6.30. Everybody was asleep, and I got back about 7.30. Everybody was asleep except for Annalise. And Annalise met me at the door. Now, what I had not taken into her account about her sleeping in my study was I had not properly altered the environment to account for a curious and bright three-year-old. And so Annalise, in my absence and after she had woken up, had gone exploring in Papa's study. That's a bad thing to do for a three-year-old. And so she came to the door, and um, it, this, this doesn't end bad, so don't worry. I don't, don't get nervous. But it, it, it was a scary moment. She came to the door. When I came up to the driveway, I opened the door, and she's standing there. I know she's got something red on her face. And then I look down, and she's got something red on, all over her hands. She's bleeding. And I said, Annalise, what have you done? And she said, Papa... I have some issues. (laughs) I said, how did you do this, Annalise? She had found a pocket knife and had managed to open it and cut her finger. Not bad, but enough to be a bloody mess. Sorry for the English listeners to this podcast. And so she, she is bleeding, and she's got blood everywhere. And, uh, and I, you know, it's that when you see that as a grandparent or a parent, your, your heart just sinks like a stone. And I said, and, well, where, where is the knife, Annalise? Where is it? And she's evasive. She begins, she's good at this. She, she, she's evading telling me where she has stashed it. And so I begin to look around. I went to the most logical place, and I pulled down the covers off of her bed, and they are lined up neatly, neatly. It was a pocket knife, 
a magnifying glass, and a screwdriver. <laughs> she, and then what she told me th- was this. She, says, she said, I was treasuring them, Papa. I was treasuring them. Now, here's the point. Her desires and what she treasured injured her, and it could have been much worse. She desired things that she thought were cool and amazing and fun, but really they were dangerous and destructive. Right now, many of us are desiring and treasuring things other than God that are going to injure us and maybe even destroy us. Right now, many of us struggle because in our heart of hearts, we don't believe that treasuring Jesus is enough. And if we're honest, our heart believes that if we had something else, we would be truly happy. If I had something else plus Jesus, that would make me happy. If I could only get divorced, I would be happy. If I could only get married, I would be happy. Somebody has said marriage is like flies on the screen door. Some, the ones that are on the outside want to get in, and the ones on the inside want to get out. Not at my house. I like being on the inside. If I could only have more money, I would be happy. If I could only live in a different house, I would be happy. If I could only be popular, I would be happy. The list goes on and on. What we're saying here is that we think Jesus Having Jesus is like having a side dish. In other words, if Jesus is my side dish, I will be fine. But he's not the main course. We want him as a side dish. We don't want to not have a Jesus on the table, but we want him as a side dish. You know, Friday night in Lent, um, we, always, we always eat fish on Friday in Lent. And, uh, and, and usually what we try to do on Friday nights in Lent is go to Pete's and get uh, fish and shrimp. Now, my daughter Elizabeth tells me that this is hypocrisy because we enjoy it so much. It's not very Lenten. Um, but hey, look, I didn't make up the rules. So. <laughs> Seriously, though, I, I love... Uh, that is kind of a tradition in our house. I go to, we go to Pete's and Clemens, the, the beautiful village of Clemens, and we drive down the main drag, go, go to Pete's restaurant. And so I ordered... Um, uh, the flounder and popcorn shrimp seafood combination. Oh, my goodness. I was so hungry. I was, I, I was just hungry, hungry, hungry. And so the, it came to the table. And I'd also ordered sides because you get side dishes, right? I ordered coleslaw, hush puppies, and french fries. Because if you're going to eat fried fish in North Carolina, you're supposed to have coleslaw, hush puppies, and french fries. Would you like to have mixed vegetables? What are you talking about? This is North Carolina. Everything should be fried except the coleslaw, and there should be mayonnaise in that. So, so that's what came to the table. But you know what I did? Because it was a lot of food. Uh, I took all of, we had an extra plate there. I took all of that, those french fries and hush puppies, and I moved them off the main plate. That way I could just spread out the glory of the fish and the shrimp. And it was just easy to get to all of them. And I don't want ketchup. I mean, I didn't want uh, cocktail sauce touching my french fries anyway. And so here's the deal. Um, I didn't go to Pete's to eat French fries and hush puppies. I was glad they were there. But what I did was I ate my fish and I ate my shrimp because that's what I wanted. That was the main course. And if I had room after that, which I didn't, I would eat those French fries and hush puppies too. Here's the deal, brothers and sisters. Some of us think that Jesus is the hush puppies. 
but we want to eat that as the main course. We're treating the side dish as if it's the main course, and we're treating the main course as if it is the side dish. Jesus is the main course. He's not the hush puppies. Jesus, listen, take this, listen, you can take this home with you. Jesus is not my hush puppy. He is the main course. The, and, you know, um, if you are willing to be filled up on hush puppies and french fries and skip the fish and shrimp, you have made a foolish, foolish choice. If we are pursuing the desire for other things or if we maintain the unarticulated belief that I need this other thing in my life in order to be happy and fulfilled, several things are going to happen. First of all, it will destroy your relationships. Especially, this is particularly true, if the other thing I think is going to make me happy is another person. That relationship, if that person is the goal of your happiness, if I have that person, I'll be happy, you are doomed. Your relationship is doomed. Because you're making that person an idol. And only God can make you happy like that. It will generate unbelief and doubt. Following our desires away from God creates unbelief because faith isn't about intellect so much as it is about our desires. It will bring general chaos and turmoil into our lives. And that brings me to where I want to wrap this sermon up today. And at this point, we need to be careful because um, one of the things about our desires is that they can deceive us. We can be very protective and self-deceiving about what I genuinely desire. This is certainly the case in my life. How can I tell if I am genuinely desiring and genuinely loving Jesus? I can tell that I genuinely love Jesus if I am obeying Jesus. Holy living is not rule-keeping. Holy living is not doing good works in order to end God, uh, earn God's approval. That's legalism. And brothers and sisters, we took the false teaching of legalism out behind the barn during the Reformation and we put it down. So that's not what this is. Instead, holy living is the response of love directed to the God who created me and redeemed me through his loving actions in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Living for God is the response of love. So when I, as Ben Sharp, commit a sin, what is happening is I'm not so much breaking a rule as I am failing in my love for Christ. It is a failure of love. Failure of discipleship at that point is a failure of love. It's not about breaking a rule. It's about breaking the love. Here is the poignant and maybe even stinging point of application this morning. Do I really love Jesus? Because if I do, I will desire to please him. The greatest example of this I can think is if you love somebody, if you really love them, if you've got that special someone in your life, that, that man or woman in your life that you love, 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 you will do something that no other, no other person in their right mind would do. You will rub their feet. You will rub their feet. You will give them a foot massage and be happy about it. Not because you like giving foot massages. Nobody likes to give a foot massage. But because you love them and you, it delights you to please them. We do those things out of love, not because of rules. 
So I know what pleases Jesus, and I do that because I love him, and I know what pleases Jesus because he has told me in his word. But if I reject his commandments, and here's what you need to hear, if I reject his commandments, and some of us need to go back and see what he taught, (laughs) I don't love him, at least in the moment that I reject that commandment. No matter how much God talk comes out of my mouth, no matter how much charity work I do, no matter how many religious activities I'm involved with, if I am walking in in disobedience to Jesus Christ, I don't in that moment love Jesus. And if that is the trajectory of my life, I need to examine my salvation. And Jesus is very clear to tell us that in Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy? I was a preacher, Jesus. Didn't we, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Or from the scripture we heard as the gospel text this morning, Jesus says it just clearly. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It is the response of love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And he will, we, we will come and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Some of us need to see if we really believe that. Now, next week, we're going to dig into how God can change our affections and our desires. Because we can't bootstrap that up in our lives. We call those things the means of grace. And we'll talk about that next week. But here's the challenge for us today. Do I believe that Jesus is enough? That desiring him above all will fulfill me even if it means letting go of the side dishes in my life? Am I disobeying or am I planning to disobey Christ on a clear point of his teaching? If I am, this is a failure of loving Jesus. And I may not love him at all. But the good news for us this morning is that if we do desire Christ above all things, the, new, the good news is that we will receive more than we could have ever asked or imagined. The Christian life is a life of abundance, of joy, of peace, patience, all of the things that are promised in Scripture. So, brothers and sisters, this morning, the challenge is this. As we come to the Lord's table, we need to examine our hearts and say, Lord, um, if I am not desiring you, I pray that I would crave you at this table. This morning, if we are planning to walk in disobedience with Jesus Christ, then I warn you, for your own safety, you should abstain from the Lord's table. But if we are desiring to desire God, then this meal can be the beginning of creating new affections and new desires in your life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you at this time to stand with me as we confess the faith we have received in the words of the Nicene Creed.